Hello, sustainable friends, and welcome to Let's Act, Sustainably Developing Africa and Beyond podcast. Here we will share bold and innovative solutions that will help us tackle social, economic, and environmental issues that affect sustainable development. The Let's Act podcast series will amplify voices of people from communities, businesses, academia, civil society organizations, and more who will share real experiences that will drive development for an Africa we want. My name is Tokumbo, Talks for short, Ifachiroti, and I am your host. It is time. Let's act, Africa. Hello, 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 and welcome to our podcast titled Let's Act, Sustainably Developing Africa and Beyond. Today, we'll be talking to the Executive Director of Women in Successful Careers called Whisker and Founding Trustee of Imara Foundation. I'm going to read out her bio now, which is extremely impressive. Fabia Ogumeko is a lawyer and corporate executive with 21 years post-call experience working in the fields of law and development across corporate organizations and not-for-profits in the healthcare, gender, and entrepreneurship space, including the Law Union, ProNatural International, Hygienia Group, and the Tony Elumelu Foundation. Now, after a short stint in the independent consulting world, she joined Women in Successful Careers, Whisker, a non-for-profit organization focused on capacity development for professional women, and that was in March 2018. There, she's currently the executive director, and also in her role at Whisker, she is responsible for strategy execution, program development and oversight, broken partnerships, fundraising, and stakeholder management. She's also the founding trustee of Imara Foundation and also sits on the boards of Montgomery Security Vaults Limited and the Foundation for Cancer Care. Since 2017, Fabia has been a resource person and facilitator on the Lagos Business School Sustainability Center's non-for-profit leadership and management program. In 2018, she was a Rise Up leader and in 2021, Women's Leader for the World Fellow and part of the 2022 Vital Voices Leadership Journey Pioneer Cohort. She's an alumnus of the University College London at the University of London, Bayes Business School, formerly known as CAS at City University, and the Nigerian Law School. She also has undertaken various executive and continuous learning courses from the Lagos Business School, Stanford University, and Blatbatnik School of Public Policy, University of Oxford. She is passionate about the pursuit of development in Africa and the role of women enabling that to happen. Awesome. Welcome, Fabia. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you so much, Takumbo. Thank you for the opportunity to be here. What a lovely Saturday morning. And uh, you know, happy to be having these conversations with you. Fantastic. You're most welcome. And, you know, I mean, reading through your bio just brought back memories of work that I've read about you doing and probably know about you doing. And I'm just excited to just quickly dig into it so that you can just share with our listeners the many hats that you wear and then your key specialism, which is I know you've mentioned being gender programming for development. So tell me, what makes you so passionate about development? I think what makes me passionate about development. One, obviously, I'm from a developing country. 
Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, every day you face and in some ways live the realities of what it means to be um, living and working and, you know, just being in mm. the developing world. Yeah. And knowing that there is so much more to do, so much that can be done, mm-hmm. knowing that things could be different, um, better planning, better structure, better governance, better leadership. So I'm based in Nigeria. And, and I mean, as you know, Nigeria is obviously one you know, we're referred to as the giant of Africa. I think we're gradually losing that title. But, you know, Nigeria has so much potential to really be the, you know, on the African continent, continent situated and poised to really demonstrate leadership, good governance, and what we can be as Africans if we were to really, you know, make these changes and make the leaps that we, you know, have all the resources from human resources to natural resources to actually achieve. So I am passionate about development because I know that we can do better. Yeah. I know that we should be in a better position than we are currently. And I'm raising African children. I'm raising the next generation of leaders and want to you know, be sure that when I'm no longer here, what I'm leaving behind for not just you know, the generality, but also my children, Mm. Um, is hopefully not at least worse, if not better, because I know we have so much potential. And I think that's what drives me. That's great because that driving force, I've, I've heard that echoed in different corridors, but but the way that you've put it, there's a kind of linkage to the legacy that you want to leave behind. So not just for yourself or your family, but the children who some will say they're our future leaders, but really they are our leaders of today because this is yes. where we should start getting them ready for such positions. But I hear when you say we can do better and there's a lot that we can put in place to enable us to, to do better. And when I look at the trajectory of different things that are going on, especially in this development space, what really comes to my mind is for the children or for the young ones, when is it best for us to begin to expose them to the reality of what's going on, the harsh realities, because if we do a comparison again between ourselves and although, you know, some, some will call us emerging markets and sometimes we're no longer emerging. So they're just all sorts of names we have. But mm-hmm. if we compare ourselves with the developed nations, so to speak, again, or those in the countries in the north, how do you think Nigeria is faring in that space? So I definitely don't think we're doing as well as we could be doing. That's the truth. Mm. Um, but I also want to acknowledge the fact that a lot of work is being done, especially when you look at Africa and you look at the private sector, for example. Yeah. Um, the private sector really shows leadership because the private sector has to engage on the level of you know, economics and business. It's not up to us to sort of do it the sort of, you know, with my hands in quotes, like the African way. We have to obviously do business with the world and so therefore global standards are very important when it comes into corporate practice and a lot of organizations and corporate organizations that want to do well have to bring in you know global corporate practices and corporate standards on the private sector side i think you know we're doing well on the continent you know business Mm -hmm. is generally doing well there's innovations and technology and you know people look to africa as the next frontier especially because again of you know the the sheer numbers in terms of human resources and capability that we have and our youth population who are, you know, embracing technology and doing so many great innovative things. So I think that on the, in terms of the private sector, I would say that we are doing well and, you know, um, 
or at least we're, we're, we're doing better than we're doing in terms of where governance is supposed to be from the public um, space and the public sector level. We've obviously had issues and challenges with, with the best of leadership and you know, having good governance. And I think that's really the sweet spot is being able to bring in private sector resources, private sector sort of practices in terms of, you know, good corporate governance and sort of bringing that into the public service culture, you know, really bringing in all that innovation that, you know, our youth are bringing in and somehow marrying that. I think yeah. if we can marry good governance from a public sector level and, you know, give a chance to <laughs> and the opportunity to really elect the right leaders, then hopefully we will see things really moving forward, you know. So, of course, we're not doing as well as we should be doing. Of course, you know, clearly being even marked as a developing country, a developing continent, we know that there are miles to go. Yes. Um, but there are definitely organizations, individuals, you know, from both the private sector, the civil in the civil society sector and just you know individuals coming together in different ways that are doing really great things um i mean i watch shows i'm really i really enjoy watching shows like um cnn um african voices and inside africa because it really just shows you the great work and it's a different narrative around what is really happening on the continent and there's so much innovation and so much you know um positive activity mm. africa has so much to showcase you know as, as much as i'm passionate about gender i'm also really passionate about africa and the continent because obviously i'm from africa right yeah. but i genuinely know that we have so much to offer to the world from our culture mm. our way of life we have the potential to be truly you know a reckoning force i'm watching what's happening in ukraine and i'm watching all these conversations with the g7 and the g20 and i'm thinking and africa is totally missing we're from these conversations and these yeah. what's happening on the global stage affects us and it just feels like such a shame you know so you know my hope my dream my desire is that i truly believe that we have so much to offer as a continent or in terms of our resources and it's really really boils down i believe to good governance that is really what our issues are that is really the beginning of our challenge really the opportunity to elect the right people into office who truly care yeah. and truly wants to see us make a change and are not just concerned about money and wealth and financial resources and just accumulating wealth for themselves i'm hopeful and i guess that's the reason why i do the work that i do building leadership and you asked a question earlier about you know from what age do we really start bringing in the, you know, the, the generation that's already here yes. and i think it's really from now you know it's really from now developing that mindset mm -hmm. that really helps them begin to think around you know beyond themselves but you know looking at what they can do for their country of so civics and you know and national pride which is missing i remember growing up right and i used to look forward so much to independence day it was such a thing you know and my dream was to go and march in the stadium in front of mm -hmm. the governor and you know those things and i would sit and watch with my mom and just you know just <laughs> so mesmerized about what you know they meant and then all the programming and stuff so I definitely grew up with a sense of national pride and how to be Nigerian first before anything else. These days, I mean, you're a bit conscious, you know, I'm a global <laughs> citizen and I, I'm not restricted in the most positive way of what nationalism can mean. I'm not speaking in the sense of, you know, being closed and closed out to the world and all of that. From the sense of that pride that 
you want to do something positive for your country. And that mm. I'm happy to say that there is a bit of a resurgence with that in our youth because they see things can be better. You know, not every Nigerian youth wants to jackpot, right? Yes. It's risky to leave, you know? Mm-hmm. Some people actually want to stay because, you know, they want, this is home for them. This is where they've, they've been born. This is where they've grown up. And this is, you know, they, they like what, because there's so many positive things like I said, about being African, our friends, yes. and just our vibe and our, our vibrance and so much good on the continent. I hope that, you know, working together with you know, different partners, different stakeholders, we can really make a dent. But good governance, good governance should be the major thing, I think, that, you know, we, we really do need. There's also the narrative and, and the clarion call now for a lot of our leaders, as, as well as ourselves, as much as possible to really focus on the, the positive things that are coming out from this continent. I think leadership is, is extremely key, like you've highlighted, but it will take a while for us to begin to drill down, you know, the ethics that surrounds leadership and, and governance. But what is pleasing for me to, to see, and, and I'm sure probably you could share some of this as well is our youth, um, the African youth, the Nigerian youth are really doing a lot in the space of innovation. You know, there's every day when I read the papers or or read anything on the internet, someone's doing something great. You know, someone's passing this major landmark exam. Someone has just invented. I know you're the executive director of uh, Whisker. I'd like you to tell me more about Whisker and the heroes of Beijing. Thanks so much, Akumbo. So Whisker is Women in Successful Careers, and it's a non-for-profit organization um, based out of Lagos, Nigeria, but, um, you know, with regional reach across Nigeria, and hopefully, you know, we'll get our tentacles into Africa. That request has been made several times, but uh, uh-huh. we just, you know, want to make sure that we have the infrastructure, the resources, and the technology to make sure that we're able to do what we are currently doing very well in Nigeria, also, you know, ensuring that we maintain that quality when we do deploy um, on the continent. Um, we're not for profit and we're focused on essentially developing women um, for mm-hmm. leadership. So we spoke about leadership and good governance. Um, the other part of the conversation is the fact that all the while, and perhaps, you know, if we think deeply, why do we have this challenge? You know, why do we have the challenge of leadership? And one of the definite challenges is the fact that leadership in Nigeria is not inclusive. All over the world, and it's no different here, um, with a population of over 200 million in Nigeria, um, at least statistics show, as of the last sort of accepted census, that between 49% to 51% of Nigerians are women, are female. Wow. And then when you look at that number in terms of who the Nigerian is, and you look at that in, you know, in the structure of leadership and governance from private sector across to, you know, obviously governance being public sector specific, um, you find that we are missing. The question is, where are the women? Gradually, the private sector is definitely doing better and leading and leading on that. Um, So in the banking sector, for example, we now have, I think, about almost 20, 25% or so female CEO, you know, leading in terms of the banking sector in Nigeria, you know, board numbers are also going actually in terms of corporate board numbers. And I think in terms of publicly listed companies, Nigeria actually has quite a good statistics of percentage in terms of Africa and even globally. I think almost 30% or so of, you know, board, you know, membership. There is a lot of progress in terms of seeing more women at the helm of affairs. But in politics and in, in, you know, in political appointments, that is still grossly um, you know, underrepresented. After 60 plus years of independence and you know, us not being where we're supposed to be, perhaps it's time to have a different kind of leadership. Perhaps it's time to explore 
how inclusive leadership can actually drive development. And that is kind of where the work of Wiska is centered in trying to get more women, you know, and beginning knowing that, you know, there is a ready pipeline and talent of women who could be in leadership positions, um, exposing who those women are um, mm-hmm. through our various programs that we do, including, you know, through role modeling, through mentorship, which is really the core. So there's yeah. so many ways in which you can really get, you know, and, you know, get women to the top or create that talent pipeline. But we have chosen to really focus on mentorship because mm-hmm. we believe that there is, I mean, the benefits are there and the impact is there um, mm-hmm. of when, you know, you see people who look like you. So, you know, we have men leading, right? And, and I think now obviously it becomes really subconscious because men have always led. They've always been, you know, the ones at the top. So obviously yes. men see men, men see men and men are able to aspire right tells us managing directors they see themselves as presidents they see themselves as governors because because there's the, the person who's right there is a man and so you can see that right there's a lot to do there's a lot to be said for physical for role modeling and mirroring right mm-hmm. so you you believe what you see you have that aspiration within you already and you can see that it's it can be a reality because somebody else who's who looks like you is there and you know there is definitely something in that um sort of model and space of thinking and that is what whisker taps into so through mo- role modeling, through mentorship, through coaching, through capacity building, you know, strategic skills building, which we also find that women have innately. In the past, they used to be called the soft skills of leadership. To be honest, they're actually more strategic. The art of networking, for example, the act, you know, the act of political savviness. It's not just about technical capability and competence. It's also about how you navigate the spaces because politics will always rear its head in one way or the other. How do you navigate that, right? You've got the competence, you've got the capacity, you've got the character. But how do you navigate so that you're able to be seen, you know? Women are techni- women, you know, traditionally, you know, don't like to, you know, show off themselves or speak about themselves or be too mm-hmm. visible because we've been conditioned that way from an, you know, from being socialized to you know, to be quiet, to be supportive, to be at the background, to not be yeah. side by side, you know. So it's so a lot of the work we do at, at Whisker is really related to mindset shift. And we believe that by working with women in the early stages of their careers and helping them plan, um, helping them focus for those who actually have aspirations. Some people don't even realize that they have aspirations and they come into the program, realize, you know, after you know, being with us for a year that, you know, there is something here and I can be all that I desire. And mm-hmm. these are the steps that I can take. And these are the people that can help me in that journey. And these are the sorts of things I should be looking for. Because, and what mentorship then does is, you know, reduces the pitfalls to because you are then, you know, matched with one-on-one with another woman who sort of walked your path. And then yes. of course you have the entire Whisker community and beyond the friends of Whisker as well, people like yourself, who also, you know, come in, chip in, and, you know, are available for support and for coaching. And, you know, just that general network and community of women who you you know you can lean into, tap into for support, for resources. So we believe that by building this pipeline, when they say, where are the women, right? You can look left, right, and, you know, turn to 360 degrees and say, she's here, she's here, she's here. Mm-hmm. So that's what we're doing. We're building a pipeline of leadership. We're already seeing that happen. Whisker has been has been running for we're in our fourteenth year. Joined Whisker four and a half years ago, but you know there's been steady progress, and we can actually point to the impact and say 
well, she's now CEO of this organization, paying it forward um, by also ensuring gender inclusive policies. So, so also I've been speaking around with more of the programming and the vision, also the advocacy side, which is advocating for more women in leadership positions, for more gender inclusive, you know, inclusive policies in, in organizations, be it private sector organizations, be it, be it small or medium scale organizations and be it the public sector. The, the art of networking, capacity building, and women being at the helm of affairs. And I've seen so many of the works that you've done with, with women in, in Nigeria. I, I see your, your posts on social media, and it's quite heartwarming because it goes back to when you talked about the legacy. So you're building up these women and giving them the tools that they need to enable them navigate all the other different pitfalls that are out there at the moment. And I also envisaged how, when you talked about trying to probably later on maybe move on to the African continent, women across the African globe are really doing amazing work. And secondly, it seems as if there's a connecting cord for wanting to see things change for the better, you know, wanting to identify what's going on wrong in not only at the leadership level in the corporate world, but leadership level in their communities as well. And some are becoming activists. Some of them are having voices in those little communities and gathering women together, things in place where they help themselves to buy and sell goods or going to schools in their local communities and just having that voice. What has been your experience in working with women activists and how do you think their role could play out much better on, on a larger platform if provided to them? Okay, thank you, Tox. That's an excellent question. So before I, before I go and answer that, I just want to even shout out because you, you, you said something around the role that women play. When you, when you see women as leaders, and it, it, you know, it, it segues into your question around you know, women in activism and all of that. Yes. You know, the, be- the beauty of women's leadership is that it is in, it is in itself inclusive. And it goes beyond the, the woman. She's not leading just for leading sake. She's leading because of her position as, you know, she, she brings all that, all, you know, the nurturing skills and, you know, thinking of family and all, you know, all those sorts of things and thinking of community. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's, you know, and when you look at women leaders across the world, you know, just coming out of the COVID pandemic, for example, there was all the instances of the countries that did relatively well and put measures in place and, you know, really curbed this disease quick and fast countries like New Zealand and countries that you know some of the the Nordic countries that had women at the helm of affairs and it is not a coincidence now the African woman leader herself is a woman that translates globally that's some another point I just really wanted to bring out so we look at Mm -hmm. people like um, Dr Ngozi Okonjo-Iweala who's done so well both from the private sector in terms of her role in the World Bank to coming back to the becoming a minister in Nigeria twice over, and then now as the Director General of the World Trade Organization, Amina Mohammed, the Deputy Secretary General of the UN, you know, Nigerian and African. You know, so our leadership translates, and that is the power of the African woman leader beyond, mm-hmm. you know, and dare I say the Nigerian woman leader as well. There is something innate in us that I think, right, you know, we are community oriented as women. Maybe it's also part of, you know, our socialization, but women care about the causes that sometimes are often overlooked. And I think that is why we find a lot of women also in the social sector space, or Mm -hmm. even like you said, in the public service, in terms of the civil service, Mm -hmm. um, but not necessarily getting to those leadership positions, right? But definitely holding down in the core managerial roles within the civil service 
And, you know, you will see wherever we are making progress. But definitely when you look, you will see women, you know, women leadership present. I think, you know, because of sort of a lot of the issues, you know, social issues affect women at the heart, especially as homemakers in that case, right? So when you don't have a good education system, there's somebody's child who's been affected by that. When you don't have good health care, there's someone's child who's been affected by that. Mm. You know, infrastructure, right? Security, Mm. and, and you name it. These are things that are at the very base level, community-based, even food security, agriculture, mm-hmm. who tills the land. So it's no, it's therefore a no-brainer when you see women sort of naturally, you know, wanting to move into the spaces, spaces of, of education, spaces mm-hmm. of, you know, um, just wanting things to be better in civil society. And then, of course, activism. So we are natural activists when we're bold enough to sort of come out and take, you know, take those steps. And activism is actually something that happens, you know, there's everyday activism just in terms of speaking out and even going through the experiences themselves and then sharing those experiences, preferring solutions that, you know, will enable us to do better. Yes. So activism plays out right from the very basic grassroots. And then, of course, as you begin to sort of grow and get more visibility for the cause, then we begin to sort of, you know, really see women in the spaces of sort of maybe like political activism and those sorts of things or, you know, around rights activism. But, you know, we definitely are there and we are definitely claiming space in that. You know, I know that you were sort of also interested in the work that you did with the series of Beijing and it was exactly that. Um, so Whisker has been lucky to collaborate with the, with the UN, with UN Women, the entity mm-hmm. focused on gender in Nigeria. And we, I think two years ago, just as COVID broke, also the celebration of Beijing plus 25. So 25 years post the 1995 conference, that amazing conference. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, I wasn't there, but I was so enthralled, you know, by the stories that had come out. And I, you know, and of course, in my work, I've come to know a few of these women. And there are many, many, I mean, it was, it was a massive conference globally for women. It was the fourth world conference, um, you know, and out of the Beijing conference came actually the entity UN Women, which is only just 10 years old. That didn't exist you know, at the time. And then so much work, including you know, the Beijing Declaration, um, the Beijing Declaratory Platform for Action, and so many other you know, sort of instruments that came. That um, platform actually led to the setting up of the Ministry of Women Affairs in Nigeria, the Federal Ministry of Women Affairs, and of course now down to the States. So it was really um, you know, a huge conference, and obviously it was um, marked. And the work that came out of the conference, more particularly, you know, um, you know, UN women wanted to celebrate that in 2020. So they wanted, um, so one of the, you know, ideas that they had was to do this intergenerational mentoring program. There are many young women who are also part of the youth, you know, um, when we talk about youth doing great and innovative things, Mm -hmm. young women, you know, within that space also doing so many amazing things and taking on the tour. But because of, again, our whisker mentorship happens in different ways, right? You know, just by reading someone's book, you could find mentorship and inspiration in that. So what we've done at Whisker is to put a model behind it and to structure. There is a proper and formal system that you can go through and you can come out and you can actually validate what it is that you've done. So we wanted to bring that into this idea of, you know, transference of knowledge and intergenerational learning and intergenerational conversations by structuring this eight-month program. 25 women who were in Beijing and some of them were actually some of the women were very young we had people who were students and were you know sponsored oh. as part of you know universities to go to the conference and then you mm-hmm. had people older women you know people in politics women in journalism women in you know from various women's organizations just across broad fields yeah. in Nigeria and beyond who were at this conference 
Um, and so that we had this program where you know, there was intergener intergenerational exchange, there was mentoring, there was capacity building, there were master mm -hmm. classes, there were book reviews, there were conversations around women in politics, there mm -hmm. were conversations around women in development, women in, you know, um, in grassroots development, um, women in healthcare, just conversations that were topical to yeah. everyone's interest about really how to move you know, the gender agenda forward. And it was, I have to say, one of the best things and the highlights of my career, just being in the same room as some of these women that as a child, I watched on TV. We had Eugenia Abu, for example, who's a famous Nigerian journalist and broadcaster, just a prima part into Paris in her field. And we had women like Josephine Aneni, who've been the women leader for one of the you know, biggest political parties in Nigeria, also present mm -hmm. and a former minister, just coming down to our level. <laughs> and they're so down to earth, you know. So many of them were so down to earth. So many. There's so many of them. I can't, I can't name them all. Ty Williams, who has just women's activism space for so many years and also the chair of the and just an amazing woman. So many of them, women from North, women from the South, women from the East, just coming together and impacting the next generation. And it was just really uh, amazing. And then, you know, we weren't satisfied because there were just so many untold stories. And there were more than 25. There were over 500 women, I think, from Nigeria, wow. or a delegation of 500 plus. From Nigeria alone, I think, if I'm correct, that went to mm -hmm. Beijing. So 25 was just a, you know, just a, just a, I see <laughs> just the cream off the top and um but we just thought you know we needed to legacy I think I think just having this conversation with you the importance of legacy just keeps now playing in my mind mm. and we wanted the program if for any reason we were ne not able to do it beyond the commemoration of 25 years we wanted something that would last that everyone could access that you know, would share the stories of these amazing women activists. Mm -hmm. And some of them fell into activism, you know, just by chance, you know. Like I said, activism is something that sometimes happens upon you because of a situation that you're faced in, faced with, you know. Um, you have a lose a child to terrorism. It mm -hmm. sparks something in you. A child dies because of lack of good health care. Mm -hmm. It sparks something in you. You see people who are not able to afford a meal. It sparks something in you, you know. Yeah. So these are the ways that people just be, you know begin to fall into this and a lot of women a lot of the women sort of share their stories in the same way mm. they didn't set out to be activists but you know things happened and the kinds of work they, they they were doing led them into wanting to do more and so we documented some of you know in an interview format um a really beautiful coffee table book which is available in print and also we're trying to make sure we can we put it online so everyone can access um called the shiras of beijing telling the nigeria stories 25 years um, after the fourth world conference and we have 20 of those women's voices represented in the book um sharing their stories and it's really it's really amazing and i i have to make sure you get a copy tokes it's one for history wow. and then we went beyond that to develop a podcast series as well episode po podcast series which you could then actually hear their voices mm -hmm. uh, which is really amazing and i and i hope that it's something that we can you know either do a part two or do some other version like you said <laughs> of africa and, and all that yes <laughs> that is amazing work and I, I say that because, number one, it would have taken a lot out of yourself and your team to be able to pull that together, and which you have just described was just done so brilliantly. And getting the, the creme de la creme 
and also women who, well, let's just call them women now, but then they were probably young girls, which meant that something was actually sparked in them when they went to Beijing. And they're still hopeful that things can change, especially from the, the, the gender space. And are still carrying that torch. I think that is extremely commendable and marvelous and if possible to see what one can do to just keep that torch flaming for as long as we can, because we are the ones that would actually share that narrative. And as you said earlier on, women, you know, we're, we're nurturers, aren't we? We just bring people close. This is what this is what we think can work. We're always trying to find solutions and, and, and that kind of way, you know, of portraying and letting everybody know through the podcast, through the book, through bringing all these great women together to share their stories and their journey is extremely commendable. Well done, Shami, <laughs> well done. Thanks. I just, I just wanted to, to say a quote, you know, when you just said that, it just came to my mind, something that Ellen Johnson Sirleaf said, and we were privileged to have her as one of our distinguished Briscoe awardees, um, you know, in 2018, I think we had her. Okay. Women, women do not make wars, <laughs> right? Women yeah. pursue peace. And just think about that in everyday life. Who starts wars? Just even in everyday life, just look at just just look around you with everything. Even even I I, I live in Lagos, and Lagos is you know very similar. I would I always describe Lagos and the energy is very similar to New York, but you know on a different level, on a different yeah. scale. We <laughs> got everything in, in in Lagos. It's the hotbed, and you know people are struggling, people are hustling, and you look on the streets and you're like. When you hear one sort of a brawl or something, you don't, it's not two women fighting. It's just, it's just you know, it's testosterone and tempers rising. And it, 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 it translates, if you see what I mean. Women do not make wars. Women do not make wars. You know, I just feel like that's so important, the statement. We pursue peace. And imagine if, you know, we had at least 50% of the world's leaders as women. What a different world we would be. I truly believe that. As women, it's like we have some inborn cancelling attributes to ourselves where I'm sure we want to sit around the table and say, but what's causing this? What can we do? Do we really need to go to war? How can this be resolved? And even what's happening now in you know Russia, the Ukraine, I, I don't think we'd have been pushed that far. I'm sure we would have called on ourselves and other people to say, let's sit around this table and figure out how this can be resolved. Now, maybe maybe that's just taking it, maybe um, some would say it goes much more beyond that but with every facet there are if women are there leading um, or have a voice that can be heard then all the different tentacles that feed into this would have been addressed and i'm sure a better resolution would have been found but this is where we are now and I'm, because what happens at the end of the day when all these big giants fight it's the women again because the men exactly. the women are left with children to, to manage and, and then they themselves are traumatized because either they've lost their husband or their partner or his combat maimed, you know, and then maybe the kids are out of school for so long and then again, there's no food, there's no electricity, there's no education, they've lost their homes. So women actually now become the bearers, you know, almost like a cup bearer starting from ground zero. And a lot again is expected of them from the society. And if their children don't turn out the way society wants them to turn out, then they are blamed again for not bringing them up or raising them in the right way. So uh, women carry a lot. What do you think? I totally agree with you. I totally agree with you. Very little more to add to that. We carry a lot. Um, and I think that's why we feel the pain. Mm -hmm. I think that's why, you know, um, when there's an opportunity to speak out and sort of, you know, 
advocate for these issues we mm. you know we find ourselves doing you know doing such things yeah. I, I i you know i come from a line of strong women i always like to say that um, yeah um my father is a great mentor to me um and so i'm very lucky to have you know a strong male role model in my life the women in my life have been amazing i had a fan, you know from my from the stories of you know i had a really my, my paternal grandmother was, you know, quite old when I was young. Um, but I, I, the stories of her, um, lucky to meet you know, in, while she was still alive, you know, for a number of years. Just the stories of her and what she carried through when she was growing up. And for me, there's so, so much history there yet still to unpack. But I know that it, it's part of the reason why I am the way that I am. My maternal grandmother was an, a force to be reckoned with. I mean, she was the first principal of the Nigerian Army School of Nursing. So she was a nurse. Mm. Um, um, but also, you know, went into teaching um, in the in the military hospital, and she was the first principal of that school. She was a traditional chief in you know well, where she came from in Delta State. She was intermarried to, to a Yoruba king, and yeah. she was just a formidable. She went into politics in her later years. I mean, she was an amazing role model. My mother is is different. She's you know, but a solid force, more quiet. But from her, I've learned skills like resilience. Mm-hmm. humility but also that go-getting spirit you know so women are amazing and I'm just I feel really blessed to have mm-hmm. such um one just even from my own community of those who've nurtured and raised me right you know into my support system my friends and now being a part of the whisker community and the work that I'm I do with Imara and that I'm you know all the work that I'm yet to do Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, I'm very passionate now. I mean, I've always been passionate about the civil society sector and the non-for-profits because the third sector is a formidable force in bridging mm-hmm. the gap where public service or public sector will not go and private sector perhaps cannot. And in many ways in keeping accountable and just being an independent source of um, of development in some mm-hmm. ways. And I know that one of the challenges that you know, women's cause-based organizations face is resourcing. Um, especially funding. I hope that my next sort of career still in the gender space would be really around trying to mobilize funding um, from a grants perspective, credible women's organizations who are doing so much, especially in the grassroots areas where people, the uncomfortable perhaps issues that people don't really want to touch. I mean, we still, we still have issues, health, women's health issues, reproductive health issues, like mm-hmm. you know, VVF, vesicular vagina fistula, with our, you know, because young girls are being married off earlier than they should be, then being ostracized when they begin to have issues resulting from you know, early childbirth and just not being, bodies not being ready. My mom is a medical doctor and she told me that all those years ago when she was doing her medical training and her, her house job in, in Kano or some part of it, these were issues, you know, and she remembered weeping and just being so moved by these challenges that these young girls were facing in their communities through no fault of their own. That takes me to your foundation. Before we go, Imara Foundation, what made you set that up and what's been your journey so far? Yes, thank you so much. Imara was sort of my first foray into working in gender. Imara amplifies the work of women's cause-based organizations. We research these organizations and ensure that you know they're credible, they're doing great work. Money's been used for where money's supposed to be used, as they say. And if possible, the next frontier would be to begin to support them, to build um, for those who are perhaps just starting, ensure that they're properly set up, right structure, 
and position them to be able to receive and receive resources. Mm -hmm. so the opportunity to then work in you know sustainable development it translates into the next generation of both raising boys and you know and all of that. I have yeah. to be a mom of boys myself. Uh -huh. I have to be a mom of three boys. So hopefully we're raising them as he or she's and starting them right. You wear many hats and you're really busy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely lovely speaking with you and um, sharing your journey um, with me has been um, impactful as well as insightful. I'm really intrigued by, by what you've done and what you continue to aspire to do. Before we go, any nugget that you want to share with our would-be leaders and, and yeah, just share that with us so that we can have something to take home with us. Um, I think it's not too early to begin to wear a heart, a heart of giving in terms of spirit of giving, yeah. mm -hmm. um, a spirit of philanthropy, a spirit of development. And, yeah. you know, giving can be in different ways. It can be through service, through funding. It can be, you know, through collaborations and partnerships. Yes. Um, but I think just developing that act of giving the a life mm -hmm. of or an attitude of service and you know leadership aspiring to be leaders and leadership comes in different ways it doesn't necessarily you can even be you can lead yourself and I think that's the first thing learning the skills of leading yourself well open to you know leading others and then paying it forward I think whenever you learn something new share it something new that is good, share it, and develop and nurture a spirit of giving and giving back because the continent needs us, that spirit of giving and giving of ourselves and servant leadership. The spirit of giving back, if we could all do that, the world would be a better place. Let's leave off with something a bit more upbeat. <laughs> you mentioned something earlier on about the vibe of Africa, the vibrancy in Lagos. Tell me one thing that makes Lagos vibrant. Oh, gosh, the art scene. Oh, no, I can't tell you one thing. There's so many things. Okay, let's Artsy. see. Let's see. Yes. <laughs> Our social life, regardless of all, regardless of all the things that we go through on a daily basis, all sorts of challenges, we turn up for a party, right? We celebrate life. We celebrate birthdays. We celebrate death. We celebrate, we, we are celebratory people and our city celebrates. Our city doesn't sleep. It's, it's always moving. There's always action. Mm -hmm. um, so the, our art, the art scene and the culture scene in Lagos is amazing. Um, um, the music is amazing. Mm -hmm. The vibrancy of Lagosians is amazing. Mm -hmm. And I think when you, you, know, you, you meet a Lagosian, you've, meet, you've met a Nigerian, it's a melting point um, for, for various cultures. Our dressing, you know, our fashion is, mm -hmm. is amazing. <laughs> you, you can't beat it's the Nigerian woman's sense of fashion. And certainly it's all, it's all, it's all starts in echo. <laughs> I like that. It all starts in a court. <laughs> Everyone is welcome and, and, and look me up when you come, when you come next. I will definitely. I must do. I must do. On that note, Fabia, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy life, you know, and, and just sharing your journey with us. Absolutely amazing. And um, don't be a stranger. <laughs> Uh, I, I'm right here. Thank you so much for the you know opportunity to have this wonderful conversation this morning and uh, looking forward to many more. Thank you so yeah. much. And do take care of yourself. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank yeah. you so much. Bye. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Thank you, Sustainable Friends, for tuning into today's episode. And we hope you feel empowered 
and ready to develop economic, environmental, and social solutions that will bring about positive change in your communities for a better Africa and beyond. By the way, you don't have to wait until the next episode to chat with me. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Let's Act Africa and tell me one thing this episode has convinced you to start doing. Also, if you found this episode insightful, please make sure you leave a rating, subscribe to our show, and share with others who you think can implement solutions in Africa and beyond. Remember, we're all in this together. Until next time, let's act Africa.